Hi, welcome to the Beastie Bothy, a new segment from the Folklore Scotland podcast. I'm Rosie, you might know me from Into the Greenwood. I'm Rasheen, you might know me from the Cranog. For this extra special first episode, we're going to be talking about our favourite beasties, one from the water, the land and the air. Slowly fades out. But first, time for Guess the Beastie. So today I have prepared a beastie um, based on extensive fieldwork and sightings and whatever. Um, and I'm going gonna, gonna to tell Roisin what I know of it and see if she knows what it is. I'm unlikely to know what it is, <laughs> but I'm excited to try. Okay, so this beast was once described by the Catherine Briggs as the nastiest of all the demons in the Northern Isles. That's your first clue. Ooh, okay, okay. Right. Definitely some kind of cat. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Um. No, I bet it's a horse. I hate horses. Well, I don't hate horses. I just think they're capable of great evil. Well, I think all prey animals have, like, a huge kill instinct. (laughs) Horses. Like, it's not like a predate instinct, it's a like smash it to death instinct. Yes. Yeah. 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 Next clue. Please. Next clue. Um, its breath wilts crops and sickens livestock. Ooh, holy moly. So, well, I know a lot of people with the same problem. Um, I. No, I'm, I'm giving you this. <laughs> okay, okay. Third clue. Um, it's a type of animal-human hybrid. Interesting. I think, oh my god, I think I might know what this is. Do you think? Can you tell me, Rosie, does it have skin? No. <gasps> I think I, oh, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Rosie, is the beastie this month a Nukulavi? Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about the Nagalavi, please. So, the Nagalavi, as I kind of mentioned in the Catherine Briggs comment, um, is a creature from the Northern Isles of Scotland. Its breath wilts, crops, sickens livestock, and it's generally held responsible for droughts and epidemics on land, um, even though it's primarily a sea dweller. Um, And there's never any mention of what it looks like in the water. It just says that on land it takes this specific form. So, 19th century farmer and folklorist Walter Trail Dennison said, uh, Nukulavi was a monster of unmixed malignity, never willingly re- resting from doing evil to mankind. Oh. So it's one of those ones that isn't, like, morally grey at all, it's just <laughs> evil. <laughs> um, so he said that he had a first-hand account of it, like, of an encounter um, from a farmer named Tamas who was chased by one and this is supposedly the only eyewitness account that we have which i mean is nonsense because i saw one (laughs) as we speak speak. (laughs) but we're shielded (laughs) we're shielded i don't know well it's because next fact uh the bothy is surrounded by a uh freshwater stream which it cannot cross Oh, oh perfect yeah, so, and it won't come on land when it's raining either, so it can't, it can't deal with fresh water at all. 
Um, so this eye- eyewitness account, basically, it looks like the Nakulavi looks like a man's torso attached to a horse's back, like a rider, but the torso doesn't have legs because it's just a torso. And then it's got arms long enough to reach the ground, and the horse legs have fin-like appendage, like appendages, and the horse head has a large gaping mouth, and that's where the the icky breath comes from. And obviously, the most creepy thing is that it doesn't have skin; it's just got muscles and tendons. That's the most creepy thing. Yeah, it doesn't have skin. It's just a horse with a human-shaped tumor coming out of its neck. <laughs> You're like, I mean, well, like, if it had skin, it would be fine. It's just like another type of centaur it's not that bad but like it doesn't have skin and specifically it's got black blood pulsing through yellow veins mm. yeah what an excellent excellent choice of the resort. it's generally a malignant force blamed for anything that the ancient islanders couldn't explain usually like island-wide events like sickness and war sort shortages and poor harvest and scaring away podcast listeners well it's doing a great job though. <laughs> and it's my it's one of my favorite beasts because it's just so messed up. They whoever whoever first saw that one must have been absolutely bricking it because I know I would be skinless skinless horseman <laughs> with black blood. Nah, not really. <laughs> That's my deep and, insightful. But point. I did. But you did, and you survived. And I survived. <laughs> The theme of the Bothy this week is our favourite beasties. So now we're going to start going into a little bit more depth for our absolute favourite beasties in Scotland in a section we like to call Haverins. So I'm going to start with my absolute favourite, most loved beastie. It's the first one I ever came across and that's the Selkie. So the Selkies are seals that have the power to remove their seal skin and walk on land as humans. They're often mistaken as they're humans who get to wear seal skin. Mm-hmm. But isn't the case. They are <laughs> fairies first and foremost. Mm. So they're either seals who can shed their skin or a whole different manner of species altogether. The thing all the stories have in common is that they are irresistibly beautiful while in human form. And their timing of the change differs across tales, but they all tend to be found dancing or sunning themselves on beaches afterwards, which, major vibe, I do the same. Unfortunately for the Selkie, they tend to be used and abused by humans. They are more gentle than other fairies. Definitely super powerful, mm-hmm. um, but they are never really the antagonist of any tales. So one story, um, the most known, I think, most well-loved, is the story of a young sulky woman who has her coat stolen by a man on the beach. He refuses to give it back to her and ends up marrying her. She has his children. He keeps this sulky wife to himself until one day her child gives her back her coat and she vanishes into the waves because she can't resist the call of the ocean. And it tends to be that really romantic tale Um, You know, we do have other tales where the mother comes back to see her children in her seal form. Um, And we have ones where the Selkie falls in love with the man and chooses to stay with him on land. But this is the most well-known story. Um, Interesting thing about Selkie children. 
It was thought that if a child was born with webbed toes and fingers, his mother or father was likely to be a selkie. So it seemed to be maybe a way to explain unexplained pregnancies in coastal villages Hmm. and actually often attributed to selkie men. We need to be focusing more on their behaviour. So if a young maid could go to the sea and cry seven tears into the ocean and a selkie man could be summoned to have his terrible, terrible way with her. (laughs) Romance novelists, perk your ears. Um, And it was... People believed this so fully that mothers used to paint a cross on the chest of their daughters about to undertake a sea voyage to protect them from the slutty, slutty selkie. And that's taken from Orkney. That's an Orkney tradition. Mm. Um, So, which I just found really interesting because you always think, when you think of selkie, you think of the female. Mm -hmm. So at what point did it go from, this is the selkie man who's just ravaging his way around the coasts of Scotland Mm -hmm. to the selkie woman who's the betrayer of the family. Yeah. It makes me think of stories like that. They make me think of like Twilight (laughs) Um, and those kind of quote unquote monster romances because like at the end of the day, I just think that maybe women have been fantasizing about immortal, handsome, fairy husbands since, like, the dawn of time, maybe. Yeah, perfect man who leaves when I want him to leave. <laughs> when I need him. And then, um, obviously, it also, in a way, can keep you safe if you have, um, if you, like, have an unwanted pregnancy, mm. you can... That's a selkie. <laughs> I also read that, um, in Ireland they have the finfolk, and it's the same thing, the same deal where, like, both are having affairs and the, like, male fin folk are, like, getting in relationships with human women. But it specifically said that the male fin folk were really, really ugly. Oh. <laughs> Which I just, nice. I, I, I just don't think that's fair, to be honest. Yeah, well, both, both uh, male and female selkies were absolutely gorgeous to the eye, apparently. <sighs> Normally described with long black or dark hair and um, covered in fur. <laughs> covered in fur. In, fur, yes. in their human form. Well, <laughs> no, that's, that's in their seal. Gosh, form. How, okay, I was going to say how beauty standards for women have changed. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to bring it back. Stop shaving and be like, oh, no, sorry, I'm a selkie. Oh, uh, selkie. <laughs> and. Final, final really interesting thing I found about where could selkies have come from? Because everyone knows, you can see seals in Scotland, you can see them everywhere. There's some out in Tentsmuir, which is a lovely little national park by Dundee. Um, So people think, oh, you don't really need to imagine where selkies might have come from, because you can see them. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, if a pirate can see a manatee and go, there's a then you can see a seal and go, oh, yeah, yeah. I've read a lot of things that um, put it down to how they have these kind of dog-like eyes. So when you kind of look at their eyes, it feels like they've got a spark of intelligence behind them. Yes, I can see that. But the um, really interesting theory that I read is that Sami native women who come from area we know as Lapland... Mm may and men may have traveled to the mainland in canoes or kayaks which they would leave on the beach 
And these canoes and kayaks were made of whalebone and seal skin. Hmm. So you would see a beautiful woman emerge from what looks like from far away a seal, hmm. which is really interesting because then, of course, you fall in love. You take their kayak away. She can't return home. Hmm. The minute she finds her kayak or can make one herself, see ya. <laughs> got a family back from Auckland. <laughs> yeah. um, but also super interesting because it connects to um, the Blue Men of the Mint, who are hmm. seen as... Um, mermaids who travel through the water at a 90 degree angle maybe that's also sammy and kayak yeah (laughs) Yeah. no that that makes sense Mm. yeah i think i remember when we talked about a selkie story in into the greenwood i think kathy mentioned there was a theory that like the way some of the stories are it's sort of warning young people off of kind of leaving the community to like fall in love with like foreigners basically or like um kind of sort of playing with fire in a way by like being involved with the unknown essentially yeah no i can definitely see that because they're always described as in a very otherworldly kind of way Mm -hmm. um that you're supposed to look at them and know that they're other even in their human form yeah so makes sense to me my favorite, my favorite beast that is from the air is the Slith Nomadov. I really hope I said that right. Um, my Gaelic is not very good. <laughs> um, Don't put yourself down. I like it. <laughs> okay, but it's the host of the dead or the fairy host. And it's kind of thought that maybe they're like the unforgiven dead. And they sort of, they fly through the air in a kind of crescent shape or a V like birds do. And they scoop up humans and carry them off to distant parts. Like the next island over. <laughs> oh, miles away. It's a whole 30 minutes or so. Uh, there, there's like a few stories of them rescuing people in distress, but generally they're evil. Um, and in some stories, they're fighting battles in the sky and spilling blood on the land below. And in others, they're sort of coming in gusts of wind that cause boils and burn the skin. And sometimes they have wings and they're just like a horrible birdie ball of evil. Mm. And they cause terror and destruction. Um, And they come from the west. So when a person in the house is dying, you have to close the windows and doors on the west side to keep keep them out. So they don't just nick their soul. Um, And and Halloween is the most dangerous time. You're not even supposed to go outside at Halloween. Um, And humans captured by them. Uh, return confused and exhausted and the reason that I included them as one of my favorites was because I saw one description of them that said that they glowed green or they like filled the sky with green um, which made me think of the northern lights and I thought that was neat that is neat <laughs> but how well does someone see something so beautiful so northern, northern lights go one of that was a big bird coming to get me <laughs> It's those fairies again. Fairies again. (laughs) I think that's the main thing that like people who aren't familiar with Scottish mythology um, often don't get at first is that everything is a fairy. Everything. Every single thing. (laughs) 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 Like even you know, is it is it a big like doggy beast? It's a fairy. It's, It's a fairy dog. You know, is it, you know, a banshee? It's a woman fairy. (laughs) That's what it means. (laughs) 
if it's if it's doing weird stuff out in the middle of the highlands fair that's mm-hmm. not just a person on a walk fair fairy uh, <laughs> i do find as well people are always surprised when the stories in scotland are quite dark mm-hmm. <laughs> very uh, unlikely to have the beautiful mythology that we see in the brothers <laughs> yeah but I suppose these were all warning tales more than anything else. Best way to pass on information that mm-hmm. could save a life. Yeah. Yeah, and some some of them are really quite mournful. And some of them, and I think it's the case with this one in some ways, you can kind of see them grappling with things mm. that they don't understand. And, like, it's definitely kind of a similar thing that you get with I know there's a theory about werewolves, which is that people just couldn't comprehend that a human could do something like that. Mm. Um, and, you know, like they'd find like a horrible murder or something and they just couldn't comprehend that a human would do this. I think you see that a lot as well. Yeah. I have to say, though, like when you see the massive swarms, like the huge migrations, mm-hmm. it does look like some kind of beast. Mm. You know, like they move with such purpose. Yeah. Um, it can absolutely beautiful, but I think if you were standing right underneath one, it would be really overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, someone so one account said V or a crescent like geese, and then another one said like the big ball like mm. I'm blanking. Is it? It's either swallows. I think it's swallows. Yeah, yeah. or swifts. Or swifts. It's one of the two. No, um, that's really interesting. So I hadn't heard about. The, I'm not gonna try. I'm not even gonna try. Coward. It's really difficult, I think, to find any air-based beasties. Mm-hmm. Scottish tales tend to be focused on the water. Yeah, definitely the water. Because um, I was just thinking, we don't really even have, you know, in other cultures, you kind of get like griffins or yeah. rocks, like just big birdies in the sky that carry you off and that sort of thing. And yeah, we don't really have it. Mm. I suppose, though, Scotland, not many places for a big beastie to hide. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if, because because we're quite a hilly country, mm. with, you know, like the Highlands is used to be a lot less barren than it is now. It's like it's artificially barren. I wonder if people would generally be more afraid of beasts from the air if they live in sort of places that have like big open plains where there's nowhere you can run for cover or or hide yeah no that's fair because it's you know the, the more monstrous things are obviously then in the water because mm-hmm. you can't see like that's the main danger that people are dealing yeah. with here and that's the, you know the danger of drowning and shipwrecks it was happening mm-hmm. every day um same with like a lot of the monsters on land are found in like battlefields or just in, mm-hmm. in the night time <laughs> if you're walking in the night time don't <laughs> yeah did he <laughs> you're gonna no do that <laughs> you're gonna get breathed on by a mammoth <laughs> oh, that happened to Ur Thomas and he's never been the same since yeah. <laughs> he's got the plague yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interesting as well here we've got another story that's talking about islanders disappearing we need to explain that because why would they ever want to leave the community mm-hmm. you know and that's why the selkie wife Return to the sea. It's not just a woman's had enough and left. <laughs> For every story we look into, we find really interesting things, 
really creepy things, really weird things, but there's always something that's going to knock your socks off. So Rosie, what was the wildest thing you learned this month? The wildest thing that I learned this month is, again, to do with the fairy host. Um, so there's a story associated associated with them where the daughter of the king of france is carried off into the air by the host and finally laid down near benbecula where she died of her injuries but not before she recounted the story of all the lands that they'd carried her over and the hard treatment and the hardships that she'd endured and my mind tends to go to dark places when i read things like this because i immediately thought Oh, you found a woman lying outside so badly injured that she died? The fairies did it, did they? Princess of France, was she? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> it just made me really suspicious. I was like, yeah. to me, that sounds like something horrible happened in your community. And to try and to either admit that the perpetrator was within the community or to try and persecute them for that would have caused too much upset, mm -hmm. you know, would have disrupted life too much, would have, you know, perhaps um, even endangered the community because, you know, they might really need every person that they have, basically. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe they knew who did it, or maybe, you know, they sort of knew who did it, and he was their only <laughs> ship builder you know something like that <laughs> and it, it it just really made me think of that and using a fairy to cover up a crime yeah and there was another story where a boy went missing um and they said that he was taken by the fairy host and he was found the next day dead behind a house with injuries that suggested he'd been dropped from a great height and all i could say was sure he was yeah <laughs> you know and it just seems really kind of almost like for the continuation of the community they have to pretend that it is an outside threat because like the consequences of losing the sort of trust and synergy of the community is too great yeah no that's insane it makes me think like there surely there's a book out there somewhere someone's done every time a fairy beast has been referenced in a court because mm -hmm. like this belief was so strong people knew for years and like hundreds and thousands of years that these fairies were real and they were present mm -hmm. and even when they were used in this way which that's suspicious mm -hmm. you know like it always tends to be like a friend of a friend saw the and in this case like if it's happening directly it feels like that's when you begin to doubt. Yeah. Surely they knew. Yeah. And I also saw um, a suggestion that the um, the stories about men d vanishing for a few days and coming back confused and exhausted, they could be, you know, episodes of mental illness that they mm. just didn't understand. Yeah, definitely. That is absolutely well. Congratulations, my socks are off. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your thing. The wildest thing I learned was when I was researching the Pech, which were a tiny gnomish people with red hair, long arms, and broad feet. 
And they used those feet. When it rained, they would lift them up <laughs> over their head like a little umbrella, which is just <laughs> absolutely <laughs> insane. Um, so this is why I absolutely love these little creatures. Um, the Peck lived in the highlands and had a range of supernatural abilities, like being able to disappear into the mists. They lived in fairy mounds. They could outpace a deer on foot. And they possessed remarkable strength. <laughs> they were known as great builders, and all of the Pictish stones, standing stones, old castles that you can see dotted around the highlands were built, in fact, by the Picts. I see. Even this very bothy. Yes, this bothy we sit <laughs> right now. <Pack> built. <laughs> you can see with the enormous footprints um, They were really well known for brewing heather ale. And many people mm. tried to find out their exact recipe, but they never, ever shared it. The recipe died with the last of the pecs. The reason I love them is, to me, they are very obviously a little piece of propaganda. It's <laughs> a Pictish propaganda <laughs> yeah. of these tiny, misshapen people with red hair, mm-hmm. warlike spirits, tendency to drink themselves absolutely blind. I think I saw one reference to them that even said blue tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, Terry Pratchett definitely drew <laughs> yeah. a little bit of inspiration you know, I for can, his pixies. I can never just dis- decide whether the pixies are hilarious or offensive. I love them. <laughs> I love them so much. I want to name my firstborn son Rob anybody. Because <laughs> it's so funny. And I'm, it- I'm more a fan of, uh, like, small, like, littler, littler than... Big jock, but not as we as we jock jock. <laughs> I mean, it's true. That is how we nickname people. Yeah. <laughs> um, both Rosie and I go by Ro, and it's uh, uh, yeah. a big Ro, little Ro. <laughs> but so that's yeah, that was my wow fact a fact about the facts because they just seem like real fun people. Love to have a drink with them sometime. I love to have them um, some other ale. What a mean thing to say about their poor feet. <laughs> thing is, right, you could probably specifically track a peck because it would have a massive footprint, yeah. but it wouldn't be that deep in the soil. Oh, you know what? Let's go peck hunting. Yeah. <laughs> we're going out there. We're going to find the heather ale. Um, and yeah, so just the real life uh, comparison to the Pictish people. We have Cassis. Cassisu, uh, I think. I'm not saying that right. We have Cassisu Dio, who described the Caledonians as able to endure hunger and cold and any kind of hardship, for they plunge into the swamps and exist there for many days with only their heads above the water. Wow. Which, mate, come on. <laughs> I've got a feeling that they're not doing that. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that's not what's happening. Cassisu. So, but just again, having these really tiny people and just the shock of the Romans of these little Hmm. people absolutely trouncing them (laughs) but of course they might not have been tiny if you've been up Minas Hill you can see how people might expect all Scotch people to be four foot nothing but (laughs) the pigs might not have actually been that small they are described as having really long limbs but so do the pecs they have very long arms Hmm. long joints loose limbs so it may just be small as in thin sinewy instead of a uh, larger build because we are built with uh, narrower hips and shoulders. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that's my well fact. How are your socks? They're, they're blown away. 
<laughs> Perfect. So Blown away in a Scottish gale. So not every beast in the world is going to be a fairy. So why don't you hey a kick at something a bit closer to home? Something you might be able to find flickering in the bogs of Scotland is a wisp or as they're called in some places a spunky but I'm not going to do that to you I'm going to call them a wisp. <laughs> the wisps are depicted as either mischievous fairies or ghosts of the dead trying to lure travellers off the path into a swamp to die. It resembles a flickering light that recedes when you approach it or can be seen as a boy carrying a flaming torch to light the way. Um, of course, we've all seen the supernatural ball of fire, um, like in Brave, but unfortunately, a will-o'-the-wisp is not no, uh, normally very friendly. They are more likely to lead you to your death than they are to a magical standing stone where you can have your wishes granted. Um, they are more likely to be a spontaneous ignition of gas produced by rotting marsh vegetation. And this is well attested in both Britain and European folklore, and also further abroad, because mm. there's similar beasties in ja uh, Japan, for example. Mm. Um, but it always coincides with a marshy terrain. So likely, mm. if you see a Yakika wispy, <laughs> Yakika wispy, it's no obesity. <laughs> extra bit of spice in there for you peat bogs are some of the coolest places we have in scotland not only are they a remarkable carbon sink for example flanders moss and sterling holds three million tons of carbon they're also really important for history because we find all sorts of rubbish in there um, lots of lovely little bodies and artifacts um, because bogs can preserve human bodies with the rotting peat peat releasing humic acid with a pH similar to vinegar. So mm. we're pickling. We're pickling dead people. Pickling them. Mm. Um, one of my favourites is the Gunnisteran from Shetland. He died in the 1700s, still wearing his clothing in the peat bog. No signs <laughs> of wounds on him. Uh, so he appears to have been trapped in the bog or possibly deposited there by locals who were unable to carry his body to a cemetery in a storm. Mm. We also have lots of cool things like the... Balmaclellan Mirror, which was buried in the 1st century AD, carefully wrapped in textile and decorated. Um, it was a very, very valuable object, so considered to be buried as an offering to the gods. Mm. So we know magic exists in the bogs, <laughs> but uh, maybe not as spunky. What have you been keeking at, Rosie? <laughs> I have been haying a keek at a beastie called the Cat Sheath. So it's a type of fairy. It literally means fairy cat. In the mythology, it's a type of fairy resembling a large black cat with a white spot on its chest. It's as big as a dog, and some stories say that it's a witch that can turn into a cat nine times. Um, in other stories, they're seen as the pallbearers or the coffin of the king of cats. And people believe they would steal a person's soul, so they would watch over a person's body until burial. Um, and there were methods to keep the cats away from the room where the dead person was, like riddle games, wrestling, music, and catnip. I've always known if you give a cat a riddle, <laughs> that'll, that'll make it, it. Leave, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know what to do. Um, and there would be no fires by the body because the cat she likes warmth. It's drawn to warmth. 
Um, so they're a favourite of mine because Scotland has this thing that happens where people to this day frequently report seeing huge black cats out in the countryside. Like every few years, I think there's even a Wikipedia article on it. Um, and nowadays people tend to assume that it's going to be an escaped zoo animal or an illegal exotic pet uh, before they go to fairies. Um, but I remember my cousin telling me that she saw one. Uh, it was big, dark, feline shape by the woods and too big to be a normal cat. So like, I even know someone who like partook in the big black cat phenomena, I guess. Phenomenon. But the reason <laughs> that I'm bringing it into this segment is because... They might well not be fairies at all, because there's a theory that Catchy might have been Kellis cats, which are a hybrid of Scottish wild cats and domestic cats. Um, so if you have a wee Google image search of a Kellis cat, you'll see that they look just like the description of the Catchy. They're big black cats with a white spot on their chest. Mm, kitty would pet. <laughs> Probably the only thing uh, in this episode that I would pet. Yeah. Well, actually, that brings us to our final segment. <laughs> Rosie. Our beast of the month is the Nicolali. Mm-hmm. On our well-known scale, how would you pet the Nicolali? How would I pet it? Would you? Would I? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I... If I was forced to, I'd probably pet it with something like a gun. <laughs> okay, so uh, the knuckle falls on our scale, pet with gun. Yeah. Um, I reckon that's probably like negative two or so. Yeah. <laughs> pet with gun, wearing gloves maybe? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get its gross muscles, blood on me. Yeah. <laughs> Good decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hoped you enjoyed hearing about all our favorite beasties, and we would love to know what your favorite is. Let us know on our Folklore Scotland social media. Yeah, and thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Beastie Bossy. Hope you enjoyed it as much as Rosie and I did. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at folklorescotland.com and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a Ko-fi page, which you can find in the show notes if you would like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
just gonna have to start because I, I think. Can you, can you do your song again? <laughs> just for Rebecca. That's a treat. <laughs> Swallowing. <laughs> just just swallowing really close to a microphone. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that.